Thank you, Brother Roger. The Apostle Paul wrote, uh, God forbid thou should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. The cross is the very center of what we preach, isn't it? Wonderful songs this morning about the cross. Take your Bible and turn to the little book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've been in a series in 1 and 2 Thessalonians since about June, I think. <laughs> We're going to get through it someday. But these are great books, aren't they? Some of the earliest literature that we have it was written to the church. Chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. I want to think this morning about how to be a stable Christian in unstable times. How to be a stable Christian in unstable times. We certainly live in unstable times, don't we? This has been a crazy year. Aren't you ready for this year to be over? Next year's got to be better. It's got to be better. We've had a pandemic. We've had our lifestyle turned upside down. We've had hurricanes. We've had hailstorms. What else can happen? You know, we think about that. We look to this election coming up November 3rd. Who knows what's going to happen then? I was reading an article last week by somebody talking about the upcoming election. They said it's a hot mess. <laughs> that, that's putting it mildly, isn't it? We don't know what's going to happen on November 3rd or after November 3rd, do we? Well, it's easy to be unnerved by things we see around us. But we as believers, we as Christians, can be people who have a stability that the world doesn't have. We're different from the world. We should have a stability that's different. You know, Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He also said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He spoke many times about things like that, about peace that he could give us, that passes understanding. The world can't give it to you. The world can't take it away. Came across a quote this last week I thought was really good. This writer said, Christianity is not a quick fix or short-term solution for what ails us. It's a long walk in the same direction. It's not a quick fix or short-term solution for what ails us. It's a long walk in the same direction. You know, when you go to the emergency room, to the ER, that's just short-term care. They're not, they're not designed for long-term care. It's acute care, right? Well, some people look at the Christianity and the church like going to the ER. They only want it for emergencies. But that's not the way Christianity is designed to be. It's not designed to be that way. It's meant to, to be the long haul. God means for us to persevere, not to just be fly-by-night people. New Testament teaches us, in fact, that persevering in the faith is evidence of the genuineness of your faith. When you persevere... It's a long walk in the same direction. Now, ultimately, we can't look into somebody's heart, can we, and really see what's there. But we can see the evidence. We see what's outside. We see the fruit. When someone does not persevere in the faith, according to the New Testament, they give it evidence that they really had no faith to begin with. Their faith wasn't genuine to start with. It was something that was false right from the start. The faith that was faulty falters before the finish. Persevering in the faith. A long walk in the same direction. I like that. Now these Christians at Thessalonica had persevered. They've been through some tough times. They've been through persecution. Paul commends them for this. He writes good words that we need to hear. We'll look at chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 this morning. I invite you to stand with me. God, the reading of God's Word. God's Word is uh, infallible. It never changes. It's always sure. It's always true. So we stand to honor reading. 
Here's how Paul wraps up chapter 2. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this He calls you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you are there to strengthen us. Father, help us to be people who are stable in our faith and, and show that example to the world. The world needs to see something that is real today. Help us as believers display something that is real. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This message is not uh, five easy steps to, to being a stable Christian. That's not what this message is this morning. It's really about one thing. That is being assured in our faith. Having assurance of our salvation. That's what gives us stability. That's what enables us to persevere is being sure of who you belong to. When you have that assurance, you don't have to fear anything else. Nothing this world throws at us. You know, Paul writes there in Romans chapter 8, he says, Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. A tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. And all these things will overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us from convinced of neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present but things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created things or separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. And he just says nothing is ever going to separate us. When you have the assurance of that relationship, then you can persevere. You don't have to worry about anything separating you. So, first thing I want to look at today, if you have your outline there, you can follow along. Stability comes from our salvation. Stability comes from our salvation. The world's kind of stability comes from the things of the world. Either money or possessions or a good job or a good retirement or whatever. Those are things the world says will give us stability and assurance. Remember the rich fool that Jesus talked about in the, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel there? Jesus told a story about a rich fool. This guy, his land was so productive, he filled up all his barns with all his crops. So he said, what will I do? I've got to tear this barn down and build a bigger one. Then I'll say to my soul, you have many goods stored up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. Now who is going to own all that that you possessed? That, that's the way the world thinks. That's what the world thinks brings security. But for us as believers, our stability comes from our salvation. Two particular facts about that that Paul points out. Look at verse 13. First of all, God chose you from the beginning for salvation. The doctrine of election, that's an area of mystery, isn't it? Salvation is a work of God. Salvation is totally a work of God. Nobody can work for it. Nobody can earn it. You know, we don't earn it, we don't work for it. So, as believers, we don't have to have any fear because it's something we didn't work for. We receive it as a gift. We receive it as a gift. Look back at Romans chapter 8. I quoted something for just a few moments ago from there, but look at uh, chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. Here's what Paul says about God's salvation. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, those whom he predestined, 
Those he also called. Those he called, these he also justified. Those he justified, these he also glorified. Those are great verses. Because it tells us there our salvation is like a chain from eternity past all the way through time to eternity future. And it's an unbroken chain. Your salvation is an eternal fact. You don't have to be afraid of losing it. You don't have to fear losing it. It's utterly impossible for the to saved ever be lost again. Utterly impossible that somebody who is predestined by God will not wind up glorified one day. When he talks about uh, being glorified, that's talking about heaven. Ultimately, that's where our glorification is. It's going to come in heaven. That awaits us out there in the future. So our salvation is like a chain. A chain. Now, if you're trying to work for salvation or earn salvation, you can never know if you've done enough. How would you know if you've done enough? But if you receive it as a gift, then you can know, then you can have absolute assurance of it. Now, back in John's Gospel, in chapter 6, I want to read you a couple of verses. Verse 37 and verse 44. John chapter 6, verse 37. This is the words of Jesus here. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And then in, in verse 44 he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So you get those two verses there? He says we, we must come. We must come to him, but we don't come unless he draws us. So there's the, the human and the divine aspect of salvation. I've described salvation before as a door. And on the outside of the door, you see the words, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. That's anybody. Whosoever will may come. But you walk through the door of salvation, look at it from the inside, and you see the words chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Now try to wrap your brain around that for a minute. You can't. You can't. It's beyond our comprehension, beyond our, our understanding. There was a point in time where I chose Jesus Christ. I made a decision for Christ, but then the Bible says also He chose me. I can't fully comprehend that. I just know the Bible teaches it. I always put it out there. This is what it says. You know, we can't really comprehend or figure it out. And one of the great verses about assurance, one of the great passages about assurance is found in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, where Jesus says, There my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I call to them. I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. They shall never perish. That's very, very strong in the original Greek language. It says something like, not never shall they ever perish. That's bad grammar in English, <laughs> but it's good grammar in the original because it says that they shall never perish. They shall never perish. So, also in verse 13, two phrases that express the, the means of salvation. First of all, sanctification in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit drew you. The Holy Spirit tugged at your heart. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the creation story, it says that the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It brooded over the waters like a hen over her eggs. Well, the Holy Spirit hovered over you and tugged at you like, like a hen over her, her eggs. And the Spirit drew you, and there came a point when you responded. So to be sanctified by the Spirit, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit by which you're set apart for righteousness. When you were saved, you put your trust in Christ, you were sanctified, you were set apart 
But also, it's an ongoing process of growing in Christ-likeness. It goes on all through your life. You grow in Christ-likeness to be sanctified in the Spirit. But then he also says, faith in the truth. Faith in the truth. You might say that that's our side. The human side of salvation is our belief. What does Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. By grace you're saved through faith. We're saved by grace, but faith is the channel through which it comes. Faith is the hand that receives the gift. Somebody offers you a gift, they reach out, you have to reach out your hand and receive the gift. Faith is the hand that receives the gift. Because salvation is a work of God, we don't have to be insecure about it. Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 9 says, God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. We believers will never experience the wrath of God. Jesus took that for you at the cross. We do experience the discipline of God, don't we? But we as believers will never experience the wrath of God because Jesus dealt with that at the cross. So, God chose you from the beginning for salvation, but then also in verse 14, God called you through the preaching of the gospel. There was a time when you heard the gospel. Do you remember the first time that you ever heard the gospel? I don't mean just learning some things about God, but I mean the gospel of Jesus crucified Buried and raised. Jesus dying for your sins. I remember when I heard it. I was going to Sunday school in the fifth grade. And in our class, we were trying to memorize the Ten Commandments. And as I was going through those Ten Commandments, trying to memorize those Ten Commandments, I thought to myself, you know, if these are God's rules, I'm already in trouble. I'm just a little kid. I've already broken some of these. Is God mad at me? What's God going to do with me? Well, that was the bad news, you might say. But it wasn't long after that, I remember our Sunday school department director in an assembly time just sharing the gospel with us one day, what the gospel really was. It was Jesus taking our sins and dying for our sins on the cross in our place. Now, up to that point, I knew Jesus died. I knew he died on a cross. But I didn't know why he died. That was the first time I understood why he had died, what it was all about. He was taking my sin. I heard the gospel for the very first time. Now, it was a little bit later before I actually responded to the gospel. But uh, you might say from a human perspective, there, there was a point in time when I believed. When I believed. But from God's perspective, my salvation was settled before the foundation of the earth. Now, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's pretty heavy. It's incredible. It's incredible. God spoke to you at one point. You heard the gospel. Whether it came uh, through Sunday school, like with me, or maybe in a revival meeting, or maybe one-on-one, somebody sat down with you and explained the gospel. You know, we assume everybody knows what the gospel is. Everybody doesn't know what the gospel is. But if you're a Christian here today, there had to be a time when you heard the gospel somehow. The word was proclaimed to you. The word was proclaimed to you. So God's election, that, that whole doctrine of election, you know, that's kind of beyond us. That does not do away with the need for evangelism. It makes evangelism essential. It's through the preaching of the gospel that people come to him. Going back to the book of Romans once again, in chapter 10, verse 8 through 14, verses that we're familiar with, 
What does it say? The words near you, in your mouth, in your heart. The word of faith which we're preaching. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How they believe unless they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How can you believe unless you hear? How can you hear without somebody telling you? So for the Apostle Paul, evangelism was absolutely necessary to bring people to faith in Christ. That's how God brings people. And if you come back to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, for this He calls you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you may share in His glory. You share in Christ's eternal glory. So, stability, how do you be a stable Christian in unstable times? Stability comes from our salvation, and then that stability results in perseverance. It results in us being able to persevere. In verse 15, so, uh, brethren, stand firm, hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. The assurance of God's faithfulness should prompt a response of faithfulness on our part. So we're destined for Christ's glory. Paul says, if you're a believer, you're destined for Christ's glory. So Paul might have said to these people, okay, well now you can just relax and sit back and, and wait for glory. That's not what he says. In fact, he says the exact opposite in verse 15. Far from relaxing, brace yourself and stand firm. Stand firm. There are a lot of calls in the New Testament for people to persevere, to stand firm, because there's always a tendency to drift away from the things of God. Isn't that true? There's always that tendency to, to, to go away, to drift away to the things of the world, isn't there? Last week I was reading an article by Cal Thomas, and he was talking about the, the Supreme Court. That's a hot topic right now, isn't it? The justices on the Supreme Court, liberal versus conservative. He made an observation that I've seen several people make, is that the uh, Justices who are put on there as a liberal justice, that was their ideology, they're put on there as a liberal, they stay liberal, they never change. They're always going to vote liberal. They're, they're reliably liberal. <laughs> but that's not always been true with conservative justices. You put a conservative, so-called conservative justice on there, many times they've turned out to be a disappointment. And after a while, they begin to drift toward the middle or even toward the left sometimes. And he's got a theory about that. He says these guys get appointed to the, the Supreme Court, but they go to Washington, there's enormous pressure from the liberal side in Washington. And so they start rubbing shoulders with those folks and, and being around them, and, and after a while, they just start to drink the Kool-Aid. They begin to go along with it. They, they just begin to drift. He said it never happens to liberals. They don't drift toward conservatism. The conservatives tend to drift the other way. It's true. It really is true. Now think about that in the Christian life. Think about that in the Christian life. As versus believers, there's always going to be enormous pressure from the world, isn't there? To give in, to go along, 
We're going to see this go on as time goes by. And many times, believers begin to give in to that. They begin to drift toward that. They, they drift toward the world. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We just can't be in love with this world and be in love with Jesus at the same time. So that's why so often the Bible tells us, encourages us to stand firm, because there is that tendency for us to drift. A great hymn we sing, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Boy, isn't that true? That is so true. The world can pull us away. The world can pull us away. At our own Southern Baptist Convention, back in the 1980s and 90s, we had a conservative resurgence that took place, and that, that was needed in many ways. But the, the leaders who brought about that conservative resurgence have passed from the scene. And we're beginning to drift again in some ways. I can sense us drifting again. So every generation has to take a stand. Every generation has to stand firm. There's always going to be a need to defend the faith. That battle's never going to be over as long as we're in this world. That's why Paul talks about the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6. That battle is never going to be over. So stand firm. He says, stand firm, hold to the traditions. Literally, the things handed down. When he talks about traditions here, he's not talking about man-made traditions like what time we have Sunday school or what order of service we're going to follow in the worship. <laughs> Whether or not we have Sunday night service, well, how we do this and that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the basics of the faith. The fundamentals of the faith. The basic things, doctrines of the faith. When I was a young believer, somebody put this book in my hands or recommended it to me, Fundamentals of Our Faith by Herschel Hobbes. Now, you older adults, well, know who Herschel Hobbes is, right? Especially if you've been a Sunday school teacher, you know who Herschel Hobbes. He's been dead for about, what, about 20 years? He's still writing commentaries, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> no, it's just called the Herschel Hobbes Commentaries, named after him. He's not still writing them for, from heaven or anything. But uh, th this book really changed my life. There's some of the, the titles of the chapters. The Bible. Creation. God. Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, sin, the atonement. You don't get any more basic than that, do you? <laughs> but those basic doctrines that we have to come back to and hold to. Now, for these Christians at Thessalonica, you've got to keep in mind that they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the, the first Thessalonians that Paul had written to them. So Paul says to them, what, whatever we have passed on to you, the traditions, whether written or spoken, see the spoken word carried just as much value and just as much strength back then in that generation because the New Testament was being written. Well, we have the complete New Testament now, don't we? So this is our final authority. This is the book by which we test everything. We test everything by, by the word. Now, these Thessalonians, if you think back to the first part of chapter 2, they have become uh, unsettled by some things. You remember that? Some things regarding the second coming you know, the day of the Lord, they've gotten unsettled about those, some of those things because they've been uh, hearing some unreliable information about it. That's why we need to come back to test everything by the Word. Test everything by the Word of God. You want to know if somebody's a true teacher or a false uh, teacher, just test what they say by the Word. And also, how central is the cross to what they're teaching? Test everything by the Word. 
And then in verses 16 and 17, Paul prays for these people. And you know, it's interesting in the letters that Paul writes, uh, usually at some point he's going to say a prayer for them. It's interesting to, to look at the prayers of Paul and how he prays and what he prays for these people. It's interesting here, in verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. He talks about the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father. He talks about you know, plural there, those two together, but the rest of the sentence is in the, the singular. It's like He's joining together the Father and the Son, because they are one. They are one. Jesus is one with the Father. May the one who loved us and gave us comfort and hope, may He give us comfort and strength through everything we do. May He strengthen you in everything that you do. May He keep you stable, is what He's saying. We need strength for what we do day by day, don't we? And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, Verse 58, he wraps that great chapter up about the resurrection. He talks first of all about Jesus' resurrection. Then he talks about our resurrection. He talks about what to do in the meantime. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Settle in, firm, keeping your feet on the solid rock, and doing what God called you to do. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. Do you have that stability in your life that comes from the personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It's easy to get unnerved today, looking around at things and, and watching current events. You want stability, you're going to find it in the Lord. Nothing in this world is going to give you stability. It's one thing we've learned these last uh, six or seven months is... Uh, Everything that we look to for stability, that could be taken away from us in a heartbeat, couldn't it? I think about all those people down in South Louisiana who had their houses blown away by a hurricane. It's hard to imagine everything that you own just swept away in an instant like that. What would happen to you if, if that happened? What would happen to your faith if that happened? Would that shake your faith? That's why our faith has to be in Him. Maybe you need to come trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. If you never have, I invite you to come. I invite you to come. Maybe the other needs you have, maybe you need to come just pray at the altar about some situation in your life or pray for our country or whatever it is that God may be leading you in these moments. Our hymn this morning is, I surrender all. I surrender all. Just come and surrender to Him. Let's stand together. We pray. And then we offer our time of commitment, time of invitation. Father, we do thank you so much for this opportunity to come and worship today. It's been a great day here in your house, Father. And I pray right now for these moments of, of commitment, moments of invitation. Father, touch our hearts and lives. If there's one among us that doesn't know you in a personal way as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray they would, they would step out and step forward. But God, we surrender all to you right now. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.